We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I like to use the term living into this. So, like, Mike and I are like, well, how, we, we definitely have it planned out. We've done some good work. But we also don't want to assume, like, uh, we don't want to talk past each other. And there's lots of big words that, like, you know, y'all talk in Hebrew and use all these big words. And then you, we're like, what are you talking about? So Aramaic is really my first language. <laughs> 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 <Mine> course. <laughs> Um, so we recognize that we probably all come with a certain level of knowledge and expectations and all of that. So, um, we want to hear from you guys and sort of see what is it that you want to get out of this? Um, what is it that you want to leave, you know, after however many sessions you attend, you want to leave with some different kind of kernel of knowledge so that we can tailor our time together to me. So we'll just do this popcorn style. Um, yeah. What do you want to learn? Who are the puppets? Okay. All right. What else? Some historical context. context. And we're going to cover um, part of that today, and then I think we'll add to it probably each time. That we're processing. We're processing. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I well, who knew that they were prophets when they were? I like the first question. Did they know? <laughs> That's really interesting. Was there, did they know and then did other people know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did their, did their yeah. social milieu know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did they know? Yeah. Did their colleagues know? Right. <laughs> I like, like are there modern day prophets? Well, right, because this man said that we don't live by prophecy. That was heavy. That's a whole class, modern right. day prophecy. Like we said that? So. Yeah, we said that? Yes. <laughs> don't we? Did I miss something? I don't know. Do we? <laughs> that, that, that was a heavy prophecy. How would I know if I was a prophet? <laughs> okay. We should we should make like a like a like a quizlet or something like that. <laughs> like, how do you know if you're a prophet? Do you do you enjoy foraging for berries? <laughs> do you like camel's hair? Like what do you, what do you like to wear? <laughs> what is your clothing of preference? Right. <laughs> Have you upset anyone in the last day? <laughs> Have you been kicked out of your own village? <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, what was the thing? I'm kind of interested because, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm very Gentile and don't have a whole lot of uh, exposure or insight into I think I'm interested in finding out things like, I mean, are there some prophets that are recognized by, that aren't recognized by Christians or vice versa, or, you know, and things about um, our Bibles and where we, we look to find... So I heard... Uh, yeah, that was a lot. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. Uh, so it sounds like you want to have some con- some biblical context. or um, Comparison. Like differences between comparison. Jewish and Christian yeah. understandings. Right. Yeah. And um, comparison. And then you also said something about wanting to know maybe some un... un well, not like, so popular 
Well, like yeah, those like, that didn't make it into like a canon of sorts, or yeah, like I mean, everybody's got all these different things, and there's like the apocrypha, which has the story of the Maccabees that we don't have right. in a I lot of Protestant that. Bibles, okay. and then you've got you know we call it the Pentateuch, you call it the Torah. There's all okay. There's a different perspectives that I'm just trying to all right in terminology. Okay, okay, and I am okay. Yes, Jane. How do you distinguish between like, true prophecy and false prophecy? Uh, no. Y'all are going to make this hard. I want to know if any of the prophets like, liked prophecy. Well, I want to know. sessions later. 15 <laughs> sessions later. And I'm a picture of this. Um, and, uh, we can come back to it and adapt it and like, cross some things off as we learn that. Uh, and uh, we'll go from there. So now I'm going to give Mike the hard job and give us the history lesson. So. <laughs> uh, I thought that maybe, uh, would it be, make sense to uh, pass along a, pass around the sign-in sheet? I was sheet? just thinking yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. And that way, also, if you uh, would be, if you're willing to share um, contact information, um, that would be helpful in case there's like things that we might want to share be- before between classes. Maybe so, you realize like there are things that we can email you or send you, like comparative, you know, books like what the Jewish Hebrew scriptures look like compared to the traditional Christian to um, uh, Catholic Christian scriptures. Other Serbian Orthodox scriptures. The list goes on, actually. Can I help you in any way? Do you want the real time, or you get 20 minutes? Okay. All right. Let's, let's, let's drill down first. Let's see if we can get maybe a, a working definition first before we get into some of the kind of historical... What's that? Oh, you already... Yeah, I guess since you uh, already... What's it called? It's over there, I think. Um, so... What is a prophet? We can talk about all sorts of questions related to prophecy. Um, we're going to look a little bit about uh, the, the history of the biblical prophets in just a second. But 
Can we have a working definition? How would you just define a prophet? A prophet is one God speaks to, then in turn comes out the people. Great. So a person that God speaks to, and in turn takes that message and shares it with other people. Anybody have anything that they want to add or subtract? Multiply to that? <laughs> I think we think of prophets a lot of the time as tell. So a person that can foretell the future, a person that has a message from God that they share out with other people. And it's a message that people don't want to hear. Universally, you think? Uh, In other words, is that, is that could you no, say that's no, true? No, okay, you're right. It, it, it wouldn't be universal. It'd, be like, It'd just be a certain word. Prophecy. Um... There are a number of them. Yes, there are. Right. So, sorry. I don't. I actually just want to have more of a free flowing conversation without. But, but okay. So, one possibility is that a prophet shares a message that is not necessarily what people want to hear. Okay. Because it's corrective. Because it's often corrective, right? So it's so it's uh, um, so people are doing something or other that uh, that that is not in line with. Uh, either what the prophet thinks is the right thing to do or what the prophet channels from God or has a message from God as what ought to be the right thing to do and tells people that and people don't often like to be told what they're doing wrong. The prophets also messages of comfort and support. Great. So that's, that, that was one of the things I had in mind that I was going to um, offer as a, as a response and then I stopped myself, but I'm glad it was, was offered, right? Because prophets don't only um, offer uh, messages of condemnation and, uh, and rebuke. They also offer messages of, uh, of, of consolation and hope, right? So um, maybe today, if not today, then at some point in the series, uh, we might look at Isaiah chapter 40, where he says in Hebrew, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort, O comfort my people, um, uh, which, you know, I mean, may have been a hard message for some people here. My guess is that some people took comfort in hearing that message. Uh, imagine, right? So not necessarily always, uh, always uh, hard messages to hear, but it, they could be. So would they, would they say they got these messages from God? So that's a that's a really good question. So I I started out like kind of like leaving things in the air, and then I started commenting. So um, uh, what I would say is that uh, that that by and large the prophets are at least purporting to be speaking on God's behalf. We don't always uh, see instances of them receiving the message first and then relaying it. Sometimes we just hear what they're relaying, and they 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 usually explicitly. Not always, but often, uh, usually maybe too strong, often we'll say this message is coming from God or declares the Lord or so on and so forth. We don't always see in the text that they've actually received this message from God. And then, of course, you have the problem of text, right? So just because it says in the text that they received this message from God doesn't necessarily make it true. Um, so that's something that, that we, the reader, have to suss out. Part of, and part of the reason we assume that they did is that, that these things have the authority of Scripture and the authority of canon. Um, but um, uh, but uh, all texts are, uh, are written from the author's point of view. Um, and so certainly the authors of these texts believe that they were relaying mes- the, pe- the prophets that in question were relaying messages from God. But it's not always stated explicitly that, they're rece- that they are receiving them. So they're associated with visions and miracles. 
Ah, good. So miracles is one we didn't get yet. Associated with visions. So uh, not only hearing a message from God, but maybe seeing something, maybe something in the future, or uh, uh, or seeing kind of reality more clearly, uh, or seeing a different reality that uh, could be. Um, so that's another uh, aspect of, of prophecy. And miracle working is something that you see from time to time uh, uh, among the prophets. Not as much in the classical or literary prophets, which are kind of who we're going to focus on more today, uh, but in some of the prophetic figures throughout the Bible, um, uh, you definitely have that. So when we talk about the legacy of, uh, of, of Jesus, one of the connections that Jesus has to some of the uh, uh, prophets of the Hebrew scriptures is his ability to do miraculous things, right? So that's not something that Isaiah generally does, who is one of the literary prophets, the classical literary prophets, people with books named after them. Um, but Moses, who is said in the Pentateuch in the book of Deuteronomy to be uh, that Lokham Israel od navi kemoshet, that there was never a greater prophet that arose in Israel as Moses. Well, Moses was a person who maybe didn't do miracles himself, but affected miracles. Um, like the plagues in Egypt, right? Uh, Elijah, as another example, Elijah is uh, is is someone who is uh, understood to be a miracle worker. Elijah's disciple Elisha uh, also. So, um, Mike, do you have? So, I've heard some some folks say that all of us have the opportunity to be a measure of God. Is it that prophets are supposed more often or more broadly than everyone does? So it's a great so it's a great question, right? It could when we say what is a prophet or who is a prophet. Um, and we say some of these things, right? That, uh, that, that a prophet hears a message from God and speaks it out to, to other people. Um, uh, a prophet is somebody who has vision. Um, uh, 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 a prophet is someone who, uh, who offers mes- messages of comfort and, and hope or, or words of rebuke. Theoretically, any person you would, one would think can can uh, receive messages from the divine and share messages out with other people. So um, I am not sure, and there's uh, there there are scarce places in Scripture, at least in the Hebrew Scriptures. And Paul, you can uh, share if if this is uh, um, uh, not in line with Christian Scriptures. But um, but there there it's it's there 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 isn't much that would explicitly state. In scripture that the average person could not be a prophet. It just so happens that we have the record of 15 or so people who uh, who either saw themselves or were identified by others as a prophet and have a substantial literary record of what it is that they that they said. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that First of all, there weren't other people living at the same time. They actually refer to other people uh, living at the same time who don't have books named after them as as uh, as, as prophets. Um, uh, uh, just as to give a, an example of this, um, in so in the in Jewish scriptures, uh, the book of uh, Samuel uh, or two books of Samuel um, are in the category of the prophetic books. Um, even though they're not literary prophets, um, it's more of a history. But nevertheless, right? Samuel's also understood as prophet, also a person who uh, is associated with miracles. And uh, uh, King Saul uh, is uh, the first king of Israel, and it's talked about in the book of Samuel. And there's one place in the book of uh, in the book of Samuel where Saul uh, starts like babbling, uh, kind of nonsensically, and is kind of acting crazy. Um, and the people say um, Saul is acting the prophet. 
um, which implies that there were plenty of people wandering around ancient Israel, babbling like crazy people uh, that uh, that were that were understood to be prophets, whether pejoratively or or, or not. Um, uh, I, I was just in Greece and I went to Delphi, and um, and apparently this is what happened uh, at uh, at Delphi is that they had um, uh, uh, I think they're called Pythia, which are these uh, um, uh, women that would get. Um, that would go into trances, maybe because there were like gases that came out of cracks in the rock, some people say, um, and they would start babbling and then there would be priests that would like hover over them and, and get, and interpret their messages, um, out to whoever was coming to get the message from the gods. Um, so maybe that's what those prophets were, were doing. Yeah. What, what could you explain to me about how the, the prophecy, what they said and what they did, got put onto a printed page to read. Great. Okay. So that's a good segue into talking about yeah. some of the history. Okay. All right. How much time do I have left? Yeah, well, keep, keep going. Okay. I'll stop you. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> so... In order to uh, to really understand what we're talking about here, we gotta we gotta take a step back and look at a little bit of history and a little bit of geography. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is um, I went to Hope Church once. I don't know if you've ever been there. I love Hope Church. Um, uh, uh, David Dwight's a good friend of mine, and they were doing a series, a sermon series on the prophets, and they had this like really slick like graphic. Um, like introducing the sermon, which I would really love to get here, like slick graphics introducing the sermon. Uh, and, and it was like, and it's sort of like, like, you know, in the beginning, you know, like it was John, right? The book of John, like in the gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, right? And the word like kind of channeled through like all these different things, right? It channeled through Adam and Eve and then like through Abraham and Moses. And then it like, and then it channeled through like all of these prophets before the implication is like eventually it got to, to Jesus and was fulfilled, right? So, um, but if you take a step back from that, right, what it implies is that there's one fundamental divine message, and in each subsequent generation, um, different people uh, take up that message and speak that message, bring that message out into the world. Um, I want to actually take a step back from that way of thinking about the prophets. Um, as a sort of ahistorical point of view about the prophets, um, I think that the prophets, um, as as we read them and understand them, are best understood um, in, uh, in in a particular historical context. I think they're best. It's the best way to understand them. It's also maybe um, ironically, it's the best way to um, to 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 actually capture. Um, their legacy and what it means for us today. So to, to think of them as kind of these, you know, um, ahistorical saints that, um, that, you know, sort of embodied God's message and then vaporized, um, also kind of gives off the implication that they weren't real human beings, uh, that they didn't live in a particular time and place, that the time and place that they didn't, that they lived in wasn't important, and that also, um, that we, by implication, as human beings who live in a particular time and place, um, can't learn really anything from them, um, and it can't uh, embody any of, of their spirit. So I think that looking at the prophets um, historically um, is very helpful. And it turns out that the, uh, that the, uh, that the books that we identify as the classical or, or literary prophets, which, um, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, 
uh, the order of them, they start, we start with Isaiah, um, and we end with, uh, with Malachi, um, uh, or Yeshayahu in Hebrew, Malachi. Um, Isaiah was, uh, among the earliest of the people in this time period, but he wasn't the earliest. Um, the earliest, uh, in the books of the literary prophets that we have, um, are Amos and Hosea, Amos and Hosea, uh, who were roughly uh, contemporaries, uh, who lived a- around uh, the middle of the 8th century before the Common Era. You guys familiar with the terminology before the Common Era, BCE? This is the terminology I prefer using to BC, um, where, and, uh, and after the year zero uh, would be CE, the Common Era, rather than uh, AD, um, Anno Domini. So... Uh, they lived, uh, Amos and Hosea lived about 750 before the Common Era, uh, and, uh, and, uh, Malachi prophesied, uh, uh, the conclusion of his prophecy was probably something like 535. Okay, so we're talking about about a, a 200 year span, give or take. It was a very eventful 200 year span, uh, in ancient Israelite history. Um, now I, I could get into some of the reasons why, uh, we identify the period of the literary prophets in that span. Um, I'm not going to do that right now. We'll get into some of that when we talk about the messages of the prophets. We'll talk about it a little bit later. We'll look at some of those texts and you can kind of see why we, why we know it's within that span. Uh, and when we talk about the identity of some of the prophets in, in later class, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, like we said, the term prophet doesn't only apply to those literary figures, right? So, um, Plenty, numerous other people in the scriptures are identified as prophets. Moses is identified as a prophet. Moses, uh, assuming that he's a real historical figure, uh, uh, lived somewhere around the year um, uh, 1300 BCE, 1200 BCE. Um, uh, uh, sorry, re- let me re- rephrase that. Um, sometime around the year 1200 BCE um, is the Exodus. Maybe 1800 BCE is the Exodus. Um, uh, Abraham uh, living a little bit be- before that, um, or a couple centuries before that, I guess. Um, so Abraham is also identified in places as a prophet. Um, uh, Moses' sister, Miriam, is identified uh, specifically as a prophet. Um, and then uh, Aaron, by the way, interestingly, is identified as a prophet, but in a unique way. God says to Moses, you will be in the role of God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. So your spokesperson, right? So that's a good indication of what the role of a prophet is, is a spokesperson for God. So there are other prophets indicated, but the, but when the prophets that we're mostly talking about are the ones that we call the, the classical or literary prophets because they have uh, books either written by them or, or named after them. Okay. And so, like I said, this was in a, an eventful uh, time period. So a lot of earlier Israelite history or Jewish history, um, we don't know a lot about. Um, these are sort of archaic times. So, uh, the, you know, sometimes the best we can do is take the biblical account um, as uh, a historical record, which most uh, um, historians and archaeologists um, don't find to be so reliable uh, when they compare it with with, uh, with with historical and archaeological records that have been uncovered. Um, but as you get a little bit later in uh, Israelite history, um, the narratives in the biblical texts and the records that have been unearthed uh, um, start to line up much more closely. There's just much more evidence about uh, what we have. So sometime 
around the year 1000 BCE. Um, there is after King Saul. Um, a uh, King Saul was from a uh, from uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, which was a southern tribe. Um, in this is a modern map of Israel, but the land is essentially the same. Borders more or less the same um, as they were in ancient times. Um, so King Saul was uh, was the first king of Israel, a southern king, um, was not uh, particularly successful in uh, uniting the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, uh, king, he's he's uh, uh, displaced from the throne um, after uh, failing in a conquest against the Amalekites, uh, which was a, an, an ancient uh, enemy of the of the uh, of the tribes of Israel, um, and uh, um, and. King David, or David, who is a, a shepherd from Bethlehem over here, uh, nearby modern-day Jerusalem, um, from the tribe of Judah, um, is uh, anointed king of Israel. King David, according to the text in, in the book of Samuel, um, is relatively successful in uniting all 12 tribes of Israel, who had before had kind of a loose confederation, um, sometimes at war with one another. Uh, David is somewhat successful in, in uniting all these, all these tribes. Uh, and establishes a capital in uh, Jerusalem, which uh, to that point had not been an Israelite city, was uh, was a uh, Jebusite city, a, a Canaanite tribe city, conquers Jerusalem, very well situated kind of in the middle of the country, uh, and uh, so good geographically, um, very uh, well defensible, very good strategically. So David establishes the capital in Jerusalem and unites the tribes into a united uh, kingdom of Israelite tribes. David's son, Solomon, we, we, by the way, don't really know if David actually existed. Seems too ubiquitous to not have existed within the text, but some people think of him like, uh, like King Arthur, right? So, uh, uh, but we definitely believe that, uh, that Solomon, David's, who uh, is uh, uh, understood to be David's son, was a was a like living breathing historical king who existed um, and reigned for about forty years in Jerusalem. Um, was very successful in uh, in holding the tribes of Israel together. Um, established Jerusalem not only as the political capital of the these twelve tribes, but also as the spiritual capital of these twelve tribes as well. Built a temple there, um, uh, which uh, um, is. Uh, has a very significant uh, role in uh, in the Jewish consciousness and Jewish history. This is the the Temple of Solomon, um, uh, which in Judaism we call the Beit Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, um, uh, which is uh, eventually we'll see destroyed by the Babylonians in in 586 before the Common Era, um, and then uh, will ultimately be rebuilt, uh, and then uh, and then eventually remodeled by um, by King Herod the Great. Um, I like calling him Herod the Great because in Western culture, uh, great usually means that you uh, uh, killed and conquered and dispossessed a lot of people. Uh, but nevertheless, um, so Herod uh, renovates the, temp the, the temple, the rebuilt temple um, uh, later on. But the temple is first built in Jerusalem by Solomon and becomes a, uh, a, a spiritual capital for, for the Jews. That coincides with a really important development in, um, in the history of Israelite religion. For, when you ask Jews, um, what does Judaism believe? Chances are good you'll get some version of, like one of the like first two or like first three answers is, Jews believe in one God. Jews are monotheistic. 
right? And um, that is definitely true, but may not have always been true. Uh, and so uh, Solomon's reign coincides with this, with this major watershed, this major uh, 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 change in uh, the development of uh, Israelite religion, that we believe in, in one God, that that one God is, uh, is um, at the very least the God of all of Israel, but some, according to some, the God of all the world. That's something that's actually hashed out among the prophets, is is God uniquely a Jewish God, or is God um, more expansive and universally a God than just the Jewish people? And that's reflected uh, by King Solomon building one temple, that this is going to be the center of Jewish worship. If there's one God, then there should be one temple, right? So Solomon builds that one temple. And so most of the historical texts in the, in the Bible are written from the perspective of, uh, of, of, uh, uh, from that religious perspective, right? That there is one God, therefore there is one holy city and one locus of Jewish worship. Anything that's happening more or less that's not happening here and is not uh, um, uh, directed toward that one true God um, is, uh, is foreign worship, is alien worship. Um, sometimes it's actually alien worship when people are uh, worshiping the indigenous uh, gods of Canaan and, and, uh, and, uh, or, or other uh, local deities. Um, but, uh, um, but most of the historical texts in the Bible are uh, written from the point of view of people who are um, uh, under the sphere of influence of Solomon and Solomon's descendants. Now, after Solomon dies, there is a power struggle to succeed him. His general is a man named Jeroboam, Jeroboam. His son is a man named Rehoboam, Rehoboam. Um, and uh, um, uh, Rehoboam ascends the throne after his father dies, um, but he proves himself a kind of brutal ruler. And so uh, Jeroboam leads a rebellion against Rehoboam and succeeds essentially in uh, getting the ten northern tribes to secede from the Union. They split the country. So you can see this in the, in the two books of Kings, um, that it kind of tells a parallel history of the kingdom of Israel in the north with uh, um, its capital, its initial capital anyway, in, in Dan up here, um, and the kingdom of Judah in the south with its capital in Jerusalem. For a lot of history, they these two nations they weren't really at war with one another, but they were separate. But they were separate uh, countries. They obviously had relationships with, with one another. They obviously uh, shared common language and, and sometimes common religion. Um, uh, but from the point of view of the Book of Kings, uh, the kingdom of the north was generally bad. Generally, uh, was not aligned with uh, with with God and the ancestral tradition of the Jewish people. Uh, or the, the Israelite people. And the kingdom of Judah was sometimes good and sometimes bad. Sometimes loyal to God, sometimes not loyal to God. Right? So in the, in the book of Kings, where you have uh, the stories of Elijah the prophet, right? Who, uh, who fights against King Ahab and Ahab's queen Jezebel, right? That is taking place in the north of Israel. Ahab is a northern king. Um, whereas, um, there are kings in the south too. Uh, Isaiah prophesies to King uh, Uzziah, who is a southern king of Judah. 
most for the most part, kings of Judah are uh, in the line of succession of uh, of King David, or trace their ancestry back to King David. The kings of the north are not. Um, Solomon dies something like, um, let's say, 850 BCE. Okay, so um, uh, uh, so the split in these two kingdoms happens um, around then. So something significant. They're, they're, these two kingdoms exist in some ways, build, uh, have a period of, of, of rise and thriving um, until there's, there's kind of this historical window uh, uh, between the rise and fall of some really powerful empires in the ancient world. Egypt being one of the big ones, uh, and Babylon being another. Um, and during that, during that uh, uh, a brief window in time between in that uh, window in history, uh, little kind of like local empires can or kingdoms can rise uh, because they're not pressured by the by these large dominating powers. It's possible that the story of the Exodus is an allegory of the um, of the uh, uh, sovereignty of Egypt over uh, this plot of land and eventually its erosion. Um, that's what some scholars think. It's not necessarily my view, but that's what's on. Anyway, so um, uh, so there's this window of time where these where these powers are kind of eroding, but eventually um, Assyria, uh, an, an empire to the north uh, uh, east of this territory, um, starts to grow in power. And as they grow in power, they they want to uh, um, they want to dominate. Um, they want to expand their empire, dominate uh, all this land. Eventually. They succeed in toppling the northern kingdom of Israel. They do that in 722 BC. They uh, conquer the kingdom. And uh, when they do that, a few things happen. Uh, the first is they completely decimate the population. So they kill most of them. The ones that they don't kill, they uh, deport to other places within the Assyrian Empire. Um, they functionally become Assyrians. Some refugees flow into the southern kingdom and they get absorbed into the kingdom of Judah. Um, but some of you might uh, have heard the term um, uh, the lost ten tribes of Israel. Okay? That's where it comes from. They're lost because the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom um, and uh, most of them uh, ceased to be Israelites in any uh, significant way. Some ended up getting absorbed into the kingdom. Um, eventually, Assyria is conquered by an ascendant, uh, renewed ascendant Babylonian uh, empire. Um, and in 586, so about 150 years later, 160 years later, um, in 586, the Babylonians conquer the southern kingdom of Judah too, uh, destroy Jerusalem, um, uh, uh, do similar things to the uh, Assyrians, like uh, um, deport and slave uh, significant portions of the population. But one thing that they do that's interesting is that they capture uh, a lot of the royalty and priests, uh, aristocracy, scribes of, uh, of, of Judah, of Jerusalem, and take them into exile in Babylon. Um, so some of you might be familiar with the, with the song, or it was turned into a, a, a song right by the, by the rivers of Babylon. Um, uh, there we sat and there we wept when we remembered Zion. Right? That's talking about this period, this era, where we have um, uh, uh, Judah exile, exiles from Judah in Babylon. 
So the period of the prophets, the, when people are prophesying, is during this period. Uh, the Babylonian exile happens in 586. Uh, the Persian Empire conquers Babylon uh, in 540-something, um, in the 540s, uh, and, um, and enables... Um, uh, uh, enables the uh, the uh, exiles who wish to to return to Jerusalem and rebuild um, a, a settlement there. Um, a period that we call like the restoration, the, the return of the exiles. It's the, also the beginning of what we call the second temple, first temple period being um, from the time of Solomon until it's destroyed in 586. Um, so the period of the prophets, the text of the prophets, continue through that time. So think about the scope of what it is that the prophets are going to be talking about. If they're in uh, in, in the northern kingdom, um, at the height of the power of the northern kingdom, right? You have prophets talking about um, the, um, the the abuses of power within the northern kingdom, about straying from the God of Israel uh, um, uh, uh, and the and the com- the eventual comeuppance that they're likely to receive because of um, uh, because of straying from the God of Israel um, despite their ascendance in power. Uh, eventually, right there, they are they end up they talk about um, the impending doom from the north. Um, and, uh, and, and the failure of the leadership of, uh, of the, of the kingdom of Israel. In the South, um, they talk about similar things. First, they might talk about, uh, you know, uh, the, the failures of their neighbors to the North, right? They're going to talk about how do we avoid the fate of, uh, of our Northern cousins. Um, they're going to talk about the, uh, the sometimes failures, um, of the, uh, of the kings and the people of uh, of Judah to uh, to uh, abide by the by the values and teachings of their ancestral tradition, they're going to prophesy like Jeremiah that if the people don't um, uh, eventually shape up, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed just like the just like the northern kingdom was, um, and they're going to suffer the same fate when they're in exile. Um, you have prophets that uh, that continue to, uh, to to prophesy, right? Some contextualizing uh, what had just happened with the destruction of, of Judah and Babylon. Some rebuking, and some offering comfort. So we're going to see that uh, too a, a little bit later. Um, but it's interesting, I think, to note that this is the that this is the period of prophecy. It's also quite possibly the period of the writing of the Torah too. Um, so uh, uh, people who uh, do source criticism of, of the Torah um, su- suggest that despite the traditional understanding that the Torah was given to Moses on Mount Sinai um, uh, in the 13th century, uh, that, uh, uh, that chances are good that there may have been uh, pre-existing material and pre-existing oral traditions, but, um, uh, but, the, but the Torah, especially the book of Deuteronomy, um, bears striking resemblance to a lot of the uh, works of the prophets in language and in theme, um, and, uh, and and quite possibly was written around the same time as these prophets were prophesying. Some scholars think that the Torah uh, uh, and maybe most of the Hebrew Bible was redacted, edited uh, in the period of the exile. That would make sense because you have these uh, people who have been just ripped from their homeland um, and concerned uh, about the future. There's something revolutionary about this 
because in the ancient world, when you were uh, dispossessed, when you were when your kingdom was destroyed, when your temple was destroyed, you generally assumed that uh, that 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 meant their god was stronger than your god, and their religion was better than your religion. And if you can't beat them, join them. And if you weren't going to join them voluntarily, they would make you join them uh, by by force, right? But something sort of miraculous happens to the to the Israelites is that 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 at least a significant core don't do that. They say that because there's one God, it means that the God who uh, um, we worship is also also must be the God that's responsible for this. Uh, and that means that also it should remain the God that we're loyal to. Uh, and that uh, and that if we're not careful, our, our teachings and traditions and values are not going to survive this period, which they um, which they sort of radically assumed would only be temporary. And part of, I think, the reason they only assumed it would be temporary is they had teachers like Ezekiel who were telling them that this is only temporary and you're going to eventually be restored. Or second Isaiah who told them that you're eventually going to be restored. Um, so I think I'm way over 20 minutes. You are. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, let's, let's, let's move on from here. Yeah. <laughs> you should invite everyone to take a deep breath. <laughs> Just got a, basically most of seminary Bible. There you go. <laughs> History. That was essentially it in 25 minutes. Yeah. Well done. <sighs> What's that? Scripture? Yeah. Awesome. We can I just do one more thing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, you know how our, uh, and, uh, and we could do questions too, but we probably should move on to script. Okay. So, let me just say one other thing. Uh, you know how our Constitution has a separation of powers? Um, Right, we have the judiciary. Well, theoretically, we have a separation of powers. <laughs> uh, we have judiciary, executive, and legislative. Right. Um, so in the ancient world, they didn't really have that uh, because you had kings, and generally speaking, kings held all of those functions simultaneously. But in ancient Israel, there was a power dynamic um, that actually was probably reflected in a lot of other ancient cultures too, um, where you had the king that had the uh, political power power of, uh, you know, of all those functions, executive, legislative, and judicial. Uh, but you also had other very important, powerful people. You had priests. Those were the religious functionaries. So ancient Israelite religion, the precursor to Judaism, which is something that carried over into, uh, into Catholicism especially, um, is, uh, is that, uh, that, that the, the priest is the one who does the religious ritual. Right, and you can't worship really, um, it, except by virtue of the priest doing the worship for you, because the, the worship was all uh, a, a, a sacrificial cult uh, that required um, this uh, hierarchical, um, uh, trained class of cast of people um, who would do the work for you. So that means, because it was a society of of of, of religious people. Um, that priests had a lot of uh, power, um, especially uh, especially higher up in the hierarchy of the. But prophets also had a very significant role within the power structure. You can see this in um, in in the book of Samuel um, and in the book of Kings. Um, you know, Samuel is a prophet uh, who anoints the first king of Israel and then anoints David. So the the the, the prophets are understood um, to. Uh, especially certain prophets are understood uh, to represent God's authority um, and, uh, and and God's sanction, right? Unless you know, uh, once once excuse me, I had to like have all names jumbled in my head. Once Samuel 
uh, anoints David, Saul basically knows that his reign is over, even though he tries to fight to retain his reign for uh, some time after that. And many of the people, if not most of the people, begin to rally around David's cause, not only because he, he demonstrates himself to be an effective leader, so there's something functional about it, but because he's been anointed by the prophet. And then... You see a little bit later that David employs a prophet in the palace. So this is a a role, a recognized role within ancient Israeli society too. David has a prophet named Nathan uh, who is unafraid to uh, chastise David's behavior. Right. So the so the prophet plays a significant role that uh, that that many other that that the average person couldn't play. In you know you couldn't as an average person you know walk up to the king and say you really shouldn't have sent uh, Uriah the Hittite uh, into battle because you wanted to uh, uh, to sleep with his wife. Right. Uh, if the average person did that, David would probably have been off with his head. Right. But because Nathan did it. David actually uh, repents of the behavior. So uh, now that doesn't always happen to right. Elijah and Ahab are another good example. Elijah is recognized as a as as a prophetic leader and a prophetic figure, but he is uh, uh, but he is vilified by Ahab for it. So it's not always it's not always a cozy relationship between prophet and king. Sometimes prophets uh, 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 strive to have a cozy relationship with uh, with with the crown. Um, and, uh, in a sense, sugarcoat the truth or don't speak the truth because of their position. Um, there was a, I can't remember who said it now, maybe you know who said it, but there was a, a pastor who said, uh, uh, like in a contemporary context, he said, you can either be, um, a pastor to the empire or a prophet of the rebellion. Right. So that kind of shows the dynamic here that, that, the, that sometimes you have a risk of in your, if you're in the palace that you want to keep your job. Um, and so you might not tell the whole truth, um, of the message that you have because you know that it might end up with your head on a pike, uh, or, uh, or, or you without a job. Um, and so it's hard to, uh, be in that role. So theoretically, it is a power independent of the king, but wasn't always in practice power. Well done. <laughs> um, so with the time we have left, um, and feel free if you need to get up and, and we'll move actually. And, um, but if you need to use the restroom, just get some fresh air. Um, but we're going to break into small groups, um, ideally reflective of, you know, both um, uh Jewish and Christian makeup, so we want to be together. And we're going to give you guys uh, each group. I, I, we've got four texts, but depending on how many people, the groups may be too large. We would double up on the text. But um, we're going to give you all a passage to read from a book of the prophets. And we're going to invite you all to, to read and reflect on it. And we've got a couple of different questions that we'll give you to pull out some information as we try to create and have a better understanding of what the worldview was of the prophets. What is this world of the prophets? Now that you've had this incredible historical <laughs> lesson. Um, so you're just, there's no test or anything. Don't worry. Um, but you should have fun with it. Um, and let's see, how, what's the best group you've done? All right. How many, no, how many, um, how many, I How many people do we have here? There's Two, 25. four, six, Well, 25? I should know. Jamie probably has everyone broken up in a group. If we count off by force, there will be four groups of six and one with them. Is that too big? 
Say that in groups. There'll be three groups of six. I think for our time yeah, sake, that'll be good. fine. Yeah. All right, All right, let's so do that. Count off by fours. Yeah. So she was doing that while well, figuring this out. Oh, you already have the groups figured out? No, oh, no, no, no. no, no. The she was doing the math. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, do we start with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we start here, yeah. Sure. Just count off by one, two, three. Yeah. One, two, two, three, four, two, three. Four. Oh, wait, uh, I thought we were doing six. No, 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 four. Four groups. Yeah. Sorry, we got a mess over here. What, what, what number were you? One. Barbara, okay. And then we'll Three. go behind you. Three. Four. Got it. Four. Okay. Got it. One. Four. One. Perfect. Um, so how about we'll just do if you're like ones over in this area, twos, threes, fours. Okay. And then we'll... I'll just write it up. I don't think it matters. Let's see, let's say group one. We'll just go in order. Yeah. Are those the numbers in NRSV? Yeah. Okay. So I don't forget I want to give you Did you see it in the Wall Street Journal? I didn't see it in the Wall Street Journal, no, but I, I, um, I, I saw it happening. So... How many how many uh, NRCs do you have here? Five, so it's like one per group. Oh, the red ones. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Sometimes for the Christians, there might be like an NIV and an NRSV and a King James Version, and then it's like... Power battle. It would be the Tower of Yeah, it would be the Okay, so if you're group one, is that over there? Yes. We're going to have you read Amos 5, the entire chapter of Amos 5. Um, if you're group two, group two, Jeremiah chapter 32... And we broke it down verses 1 through 5, and then 26 through 44. Group 3. Jeremiah goes off on a tangent. Wait, between, say uh, it again. Jeremiah what? 32. Jeremiah 32 verses 1 to 5, and then uh, uh, 26 through 44. Just skip verses 6 through 25, because he goes off on kind of a tangent. And... For time's sake. Yeah. And then group 3, Isaiah 60. And then group four, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. So for, for, for ease, um, group one, Amos 5 in the, in the um, Tanakh, which is the um, uh, Hebrew scripture book. Um, Tanakh is, it, is the Hebrew acronym for the three sections of the Jewish Bible I mentioned before, Torah, Pentateuch, Nevin, Books of the Prophets, and Ketuvim, the other writings. Um, so uh, in the Tanakh, it's on page, Amos 5 is page 1022. Uh, Jer- the Jeremiah passage is on page 840. Um, the Isaiah passage is on page 746. And the Ezekiel passage is on page 9, uh, 957. Oh, yeah. So, I know it's a lot, but um, con- it's like you're reading a whole chapter, but sometimes context is really important. Um, and you're going to attempt, uh, you're going to work on being biblical scholars and doing some, some uh, criticism of the text, and you're going to um, ultimately ask a couple of different questions and have fun with this. Um, but what context can you discern from your passage? And then um, the second question is, what are the prophet's concerns in your passage? So feel free if someone's a scribe and wants to write down some discussion. But you'll have about um, 12 minutes, which is not a lot. But do your best, and it's okay. So go at it. <laughs> And I was trying to also think about something that I do I usually talk about it? I felt like I was talking really hard. Do I? Yeah. 
Look out your eyes and look around. They all gather together and say, Your son should find people far away, and your daughter should be carried over to your society. Maybe you shall not see the law again. Your heart shall be filled and rejoice, because they have earned this evidence and shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. The wealth of the nations shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall be brought to you.
I love that. I'm sure you like to show you that I have a I just I just mischaracterized that to you. One of my predecessors described Windows and, and I just like edited it as a parable. So effectively I've written it now, but it's not your idea. No, no, no. Yeah, so we all right, friends, we're going to have you wrap up. We know you're not done with your impeccable scholarship, and that is okay. Okay. We're never done. The work is never done. I hear altars on Jeremiah for you. All right, friends. We're gonna have y'all. Y'all can stay in your groups if you want to stay. That's fine. But we have a. In our last moments left, we just want to hear what you guys got to talk about. Um, and it's not like there's some good discussions. So that's really that's really great. It wasn't total silence, which is really important. You will be gracious. So we'll start with this group back here. What was your text? Who's your scribe? Uh -huh. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was your text. All right. And um, did y'all discern any level of context um, from the passage? Yes. Uh, Babylonian. Uh huh. Uh, Jeremiah is in prison. Jeremiah's in prison. By the king. By the king. Not by the Babylonian. By the king. By the king. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Did not like what he was saying. So, um, what were the concerns of Jeremiah? Or yeah, and did y'all just the the idolatry worship there, destruction, and the defiling temple, the temple, defile the temple, idolatry worship the third. They also consigned their sons and daughters to Molech. 
uh, tend to say that that the, that the world as I see it is like the matrix is a mystical right there's there's the, there's the world there's the, the real world underneath right and you got to get past the fake world to see the real world right so the prophets are kind of like that too uh, prophets say that the world that you're experiencing um, is not necessarily the the, the real world um, or the world that God wants you to live in. Um, are you looking at it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. This yeah, group. Yes. Go ahead. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. And it's the, the Valley of the Dry Bones. God tell, tell the boats flash back on kind of decided to do it. Sort of a pep talk. Because once, once again, Israel has been, you know, beaten up and uh, conquered. And this was God's way. And, hey, you're, we're going to come back from we're going to repopulate and everything will be... Can we go through it again? Until the next time. But he doesn't put that in his yeah. But there are modern English characters inside and Christians <clears throat> I mean, is that right or not? That's no, that's... Yes, yeah, that, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, I think if we, in, the, in the class session where we talk about the legacy of these texts, um, I, I think that that's one of the legacies of them, is, uh, is you know, a sense uh, over, over time that uh, or a reading of the prophecy that you know um, that bones never got up and uh, and had flesh put on them and uh, and relived and so Ezekiel's prophecy must not have come to fruition yet but it, but it was a prophecy from God so it must it will one day so you get that eventually in Jewish history uh, uh, of this must be talking about some time way off in the future. Uh, when the dead will rise and uh, will be restored, that's where the idea of resurrection comes in. That uh, becomes part of Christian. Yeah. The death doesn't have the last word. Yeah, that when yeah. you were, oh. when you were writing that, that's what right. that, that the end is. Death does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. And you know, so death is a real problem theologically, right? Because if you if you uh, assume that uh, first of all, if you assume that death is uh, uh, death is bad and death is final. Uh, and God, it, then there's a problem to God's uh, power uh, because uh, because it's one thing that God seemingly can't overcome is is death. It's you know why also Anakin to the dark side looking for a way to overcome death. Uh, but um, uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, my point is my point is. Uh, that that to to, uh, to overcome that theological challenge, uh, people develop an idea that in order for God to be God, at some point God has to uh, make sure that death doesn't have the last word. That God overcomes death. Um, but there's you know, there's something that um, as we were preparing for this class, we read um, uh, uh, this wonderful new book called the "Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets" uh, by a colleague of mine, Nachum Ward Lev. Um, and one of the things he says about it, and I think this is related to what what what, uh, what your text is talking about, is that the prophets uh, offered a different view of history than uh, what would have typically been seen or offered at their time. Right? Whereas people kind of tend to view history um, in you know in the span of a generation or of their lifetime, and often people in power like it that way because when you if you think of history in that span, then what is feels like it always was, and therefore always will be. And the prophets say, no, history actually is a much greater arc than that. It starts all the way back at the beginning of time, and it's going to end at the end of time, and we're just this little blip in the middle, and so uh, what appears to be right now is not necessarily what always will be, and we can look toward a, uh, a time maybe very far off, but this is not where 
what God sees our destiny as being. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Last group. Um, well, I'll just say that um, Amos was telling the um, house of Israel that they were in a lot of trouble. <laughs> they really weren't. They really weren't behaving. Um, and they they didn't like him. They, it says that they hate the arbiter in the gate. The test is just. Um, and he was very concerned for them that um, they were, you know, they had done not much of a lot of bad. Needed to seriously consider changing what they were doing, or um, they might not have so in terms of con think of what we say of so and then live amongst other people but yourself separate that that is a prophet sir that have fallen come like everyone the chapter 12 says sin transgression sins just Rams turn aside the, you know, you're just, you're all about yourself and no one else. So, no social justice happened. And so he's lamenting lament over the lights that just strayed so far from God's word. But, but, but Amos gives them a way out, right? I mean, instructs, right? Seek good and not evil that you may live, right? I mean, it's not like, yeah. like you've done bad and you're going to pay for it, right. but. There is the possibility, in fact, he says, perhaps, perhaps the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So, you know, I mean, if you can figure this out, and don't try and buy me off, right? I mean, don't try with all your rituals, you know, to, to, to cover up your sins, because I'm not going to, I'm not buying that. <coughs> right. 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 The, the ritual, the, the you know, uh, Religious behaviorism is uh, is not. It may not. It's supposed to have to be like this. It's, like, it's not not what God's looking for, but it's not what God's looking for, right? God, God, God cares less about how how accurate your you know your uh, uh, your sacrifice is by the by the letter of the law, but by your moral character. Exactly. If at the same time you're oppressing the needy and you're you know committing injustices. And you know you're you're just going against you know the basic moral fiber you know the moral purpose of it, then you know the ritual's not not going to change. I love the I love the insight about uh, also about uh, the relationship between Israel and uh, other peoples. If you were to read the first few chapters of Amos, <clears throat> he starts off uh, basically with a sermon. You can imagine him with uh, with his uh, uh, Israelite audience railing against Syria. And railing against Tyre and all these countries, and, and the audience are like, "Yeah, suck it to him, Amos," you know. And then, and then finally, he gets to Israel and says, "Right, then for three sins of Israel, before I will not revoke uh, uh, my my punishment," says God. Right. So basically, he's saying, like, you think that you have a special, a unique relationship with God, and that's going, but but so long as you are participating in the same kinds of injustices that all of these people that you think that you're so much better than, right? So there's a hypocrisy aspect to it. There's a sense of entitlement that he's railing against. And ultimately what he's pointing out is you are no better than the people who you claim to be better than. Um, you know, and he, and he is, uh, in terms of the context, he's talking to the to the um, to the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of North. Right. Right. But um, isn't yeah. Amos speaking, um, evaluating the people? Where and what we were reading is more of the uh, 
I mean, that's for us. I didn't read that. Right. So yes. So it, your your text your text is uh, is is uh, is less of message that Ezekiel is uh, is sharing out, although he is in a sense because he's writing it down. Um, and Amos is just more of a record. It seems like of a speech that he's giving. To, to he's also saying that you will be you know if you continue like this, you will inevitably. Be, you know, be punished. That justice will well up like a mighty stream, right? That that the natural response to your behavior is going to be the restore, the restoration. Uh, so I love that, right? That that's a great read of that passage. That the you know, it's in some ways, right? Arise for your light has dawned, right? That the natural order of things exactly. is goodness, justice, right? That this is. This is uh, God's order, kind of like always trying to break through, and people's misbehavior is holding it back. It's a lot of darkness. So, was there any chance for it? like the Ninevites? Kind of, kind of gave them a chance, but you're saying that in this case they were going down, and it was pretty much anybody who was left standing might have a chance. Uh, I mean, I think that in the passage that they were reading, he offers them uh, the possibility of transformation. Right, um, you know, seek, seek good and not evil. Right, yeah. Um, that you may live. Okay. Well, it may be too late though, because things are happening. Okay, now next hour. Justice, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. This is the message that we do Which is a witch's message. Behave yourself and you stop your bad ways, you do good things, you repent and you pray and get the message of repentance. Yes. Yes. I mean, and it's also, it's why we, it's one of the reasons why we read the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and so we read actually a lot of prophets on Yom Kippur. We read the whole book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. And we also read um, Isaiah 58. Is it? 58. Anyway, where Isaiah says exactly that, it says, um, uh, Kristen in prop climate, is it 58? I want to say 59, but I'm not sure. So anyway, where Isaiah says, you, you think that what I want is your fasting, um, and that's not what I want. What I want is, you know, you can't fast and then and, and say you, you're being forgiven and at the same time that you're fasting you're still oppressing your laborers and there's still injustice in your society um, that you have to actually have real moral transformation. And that's a common thing. All the problems of this moral transformation. Well that was a common thing with Jesus. We'll get there. <laughs> yes. Last comment. So, no, comment, question. Oh, question. Right. Oh, no, we're so, not taking questions. We're all going so, so what is the Jonah on Yom Kippur? I always think of him as reluctant, unrelenting prophet. Can we talk about it after class? <laughs> Yeah. The reason we read Jonah and Yogi Board, the one I'm going to tell to you that the one, no. Um, no, I think there's a lot of possible reasons why we read Jonah and Yogi Board. Um, I, I think among them are um, maybe Jonah's us, we're the reluctant prophet who always try to run away. Uh, maybe it's because it's actually one of the books of the prophets where the people do actually listen to the message. And they are saved because of it. Um, it also is the one book of the prophets that where the target of prophecy um, is not Israel. 
it's, uh, it's, it's actually the enemies of the Israelites. So in some ways, it's like a, it's a love your enemies kind of text. Um, or, or, or at least reconcile with your enemies kind of text. Um, no, 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 there's no. a lot of possible reasons why we read Jonah. But the message delivered wasn't, and that was part of I think he, the message he, I think the message he delivers is exactly what God says to him. Right, and they believe it. Yeah. And they repent. And he doesn't like it. Can I just make a comment? Because I, I, yeah. I did the introduction yeah. to Jonah. That's right, you did. <laughs> and and the, the issue in Jonah is not Jonah. The issue in Jonah is, right, the issue in Jonah is that God can change his or her mind about Punish, and that if you truly repent, there is a chance that you know you're going to be you're going to be let off the hook. There's also that <clears throat> Jonah sat up on the hill waiting for the smackdown, even after they admitted. Yeah, he was he was upset because he was waiting for the show that never came. Because he thought and it was God's back. message to him was, "Hey, look, you know, you've got to at least recognize when somebody does repent. You've got to forgive." And, yeah, I mean, he didn't think. But even after that, he thought that even though they did, that it was too late, that God was going to smack them. He was angry because he said all of the bad things, all these bad things will happen to be done. And then it didn't happen. He's like, what would you happen to us? So now, now I'm a like, false prophet. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. right. So it's a good, we ask, you know, what, like, what's, a, what's a true prophet and what's a false prophet? Right, Jonah... Uh, you know, it's like imagine like would Jeremiah have been upset if uh, if the people all of a sudden uh, decided you know oh wait we've been wrong we should repent and then the Babylonians never sacked Jerusalem and uh, you know would Jeremiah have been happy about that or sad about that it's really it's a good question like does he does that make you a false prophet There's another dimension of the book of Jonah too which I think is related to this which is. Um, you know, Jonah doesn't just uh, board a ship to uh, to Tarshish. He buys the whole ship, and he tries to get as far away from the known world as possible. Um, and then he throws himself overboard and and is kind of in the in the deepest depths of the ocean, only to find that God is there too. Right. So there's a sense in the Book of Jonah um, that, uh, that 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 uh, that God's presence is pervasive. There's nowhere um, outside uh, the heart of God, and also the only place that's devoid of of uh, attachment to each other, which we get in God's presence, um, is death. Um, right, which is sort of symbolized by the by the belly of the fish. Right? So God says to him, like, like you want to know what it's like to be as far away from anybody else as possible. Like, here's where it is. How does that feel to you? Um, yeah, that raises a theological conversation yeah. that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next week. <laughs> um. Uh. Well, we're out of time. Um. But I hope we will document everything that we've talked about. Um. So we'll take a picture of it and yeah, type it out. But I I hope that um, we hope that through this exercise you are able to practice and see and know that you can read these scriptures and actually draw out for yourselves um, some of the questions that uh, we've raised together that you've raised. Um, and uh, we will get the conversation. Yeah, I know. I just thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Next thank you. week. Thank yeah, you. this has been awesome.